Okay. In a very short time, we've traveled a long way from Puppet World <laughs> to the Game of Thrones. Don't you expect the Lannisters and the Starks and the Baratheons to show up with the Red Witch in this one? Um, when this was uh, read at Morning Blend, and I heard this, the father told me this after Morning Blend, his four-year-old son was sitting uh, coloring, and the scripture reader read the story, and the little boy turned to his father and said, Dad, should I listen to this or should I color? <laughs> and, and, and the father said, keep coloring, keep coloring. <laughs> After staff meeting on Wednesday, um, Gwen and Aaron called me aside and said, uh, what are you going to say about this? Um, how do we prepare the kids? And uh, they gave me some tips, and um, I hope I pass their censorship. Um, in case you were kind of half listening in the beginning, and then in the middle thought, oh, wow, I should be listening to this. Uh, I'm going to, you were you coloring? Yeah. I'm going uh, to recap this rather quickly. Just remember, it's in the Bible. I didn't make this up. It's in the Bible. Okay. It begins with, in the spring, when kings go to war. Um, all of Jerusalem went to war, and David did not go. So David is, is kind of alone in Jerusalem. Certainly other people were there. Obviously, other people were there. Um, but it's like David and his, his generals and his, his staff and his cabinet had left him. And, you know, kind of those who held him responsible and kept him in check are gone. Uh, and, it, and, you know, David went up on the roof in the, in the late afternoon. You know, he can, was he bored? You know, was he bored and nobody was around? Uh, and he saw this beautiful woman bathing who was going through the purification rites, keeping the law, obeying God's word. And David, you know, said, who is she? Send for her. And the servants brought her to him. Now, you know, David is the king. Let's be clear here. And the king, what the king says, people do. Sometimes I've read this text and, and heard commentaries on it where they say Bathsheba, you know, seduced David. No, no. David is the king. He, people do what he says. Bring the woman, they bring the woman. She doesn't have a say in this. There's a great power differential here between the man and the woman. You know, this is power. This is power getting what it wants and nobody checking it. As the Bible says, he lay with her and then sent her back. He's done with her. He's done with her. He got what he wanted. He's done with her. 
you know, and nobody knows the better, nobody's any wiser for this. He's, he's pulled it off. And then she sends word, I'm pregnant. Hmm. Now we've got to start a cover-up. Uriah's away at war. He's been away at war for a while. Everybody knows where Uriah is. He's with the troops. He's with his comrades. Now David's smart enough to figure out when her pregnancy starts to show, people are going to go, well, let's see now. Dave, Uriah went to war in May, and now it's April. And yeah, count those up. Um, so David thinks, okay, people are going to wonder who the father is. I've got to get Uriah back here so that he will look like he, it will look like he's the father. So he asks the general to send him uh, back home on leave because he's such a good soldier, you know. And so Uriah comes back and David says, well, go to your wife. Go to your wife and, and lay with her, as the Bible says. And, and um, Uriah says, I can't do that. The law says, I can't do that. It's a violation of the law. And he says, further, I'm not going to abandon my comrades in the field while they're, they're suffering, they're suffering, they're facing death, they're living in tents. I'm not going to do, do this to them. So he doesn't. David finds out and says, stay another day and go lay with your wife. And David, just to be sure, gets him drunk. But it still doesn't work. And Uriah goes back to his comrades, obeying the law and fighting for the king. David's still got to cover this up. So he figures out, if Uriah dies in battle, then I'll marry Bathsheba. I've got five wives, but I could always have another. I'll marry Bathsheba, and then I can be the father, and there's no scandal. So he sends the order. Put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle, and when he really gets, gets there on the front lines, order the other troops to back up so he's left alone and exposed and will surely die which is what happens. So the adultery then becomes murder. David gets away with it, except that the prophet Nathan comes to him and tells this story and read it in 2 Samuel 12. Nathan comes to David and says, I'm going to tell you a story here. There was a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man had everything imaginable. He had lots of flocks, lots of herds. And the poor man had only one lamb. And his family loved that lamb. And that, that lamb ate at their table. And they cuddled that lamb was all they had. And one day a visitor came to the rich man and the rich man decided to have a feast for the, for the visitor. And he took, not from his own flocks where he had many, he took the poor man's 
only lamb and killed it and fed it to the visitor. And David heard this story and he said, as the Lord lives, that man should die for what he's done. And then Nathan says, you are the man. David realizes what he has done, what he's done in his arrogance. And we get Psalm 51, which is his response to being broken by this story and broken by his own sins in his own blindness. I'm crushed. I'm guilty. I'm ashamed. Lord, can you forgive me? Can you create in me a new heart? That's the story. Read it when you go home. What's the preacher going to do now? What do you do with this story? Well, to get something of a handle on it, I want to talk about a model or tool in psychology called Johari's Window. The Johari Window. It was a model developed in the mid-50s by two psychologists named Joe and Harry. <laughs> Think of a large window that's divided into four panes. The first pane quadrant is called the public self or the open self. This is what I know about me and what you know about me. It's what we know in common. You know that I'm married. You know that I have three kids, one granddaughter, where I went to school, uh, what I've done in my previous appointments, where we live, that kind of stuff. Uh, now, there are some things that I want you to know about me, you know, and we call this bragging or boasting. You know, I might want you to know my grade point averages or what I did on my college boards, or I might want you to know how humble I am, <laughs> you know, and how proud I am of that. <laughs> but it's our, it's our public self. You know, and David had this public self, you know, what everybody knows about David, how many wives he had, you know, that he killed Goliath, that he um, brought the ark back Jerus to Jerusalem, that he made Jerusalem the, um, the capital city. Uh, there, you know, we know about David. It's, it's, it's public knowledge, we say. That's the public self. Then the next square, the next little window, is the hidden self or the facade. 
this is what I know about me, and you don't. And I want to keep it that way. You know, now sometimes what I know about me and what you don't can be good things. I mean, you know, I might give to a cause anonymously, and I, I, you know, I don't want any attention to it. I don't, just don't want anybody to know. Sometimes that's the case with the hidden self. Usually, it's, it's negative stuff. Uh, I just don't want you to know um, my private life. Um, I, uh, or I don't want you to know my weaknesses and my failings. I hide them behind a wall. I, um, I used to be a smoker. And um, I always hid that. I always hid that. Um, I don't think smoking's good. I wouldn't <laughs> encourage it on anybody. But I smoked for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. But I'd always hide. I'd always hide. Um, didn't want anybody in church to know. I didn't think ministers should, should smoke. Certainly didn't want Susan to know. I didn't want my family to know. But, you know, I go out in the garage and fiddle with something in the garage. What are you doing? I'm just fiddling with something in the garage, you know. I uh, didn't want the neighbors to know. Um, sometimes I'd just leave the office and go for a walk, and I'm just going to go for a walk and think on the sermon, but I'd be, you know, um, that kind of stuff. And I'd, I'd use mouthwash so you couldn't smell it and brush my teeth and you'd spray me down with Lysol so you couldn't smell it. All that kind of stuff. And, you know, I fooled everybody. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Yeah. But that's our hidden self. We just don't want people to know those things that we're not, we're not really proud of. Um, sometimes we just lie. We cover up. Um, there are lots of ways, and you probably know how you hide yourself. Um, David obviously in this passage is dealing with his hidden self with the facade that he doesn't want people to know now with this hidden self we spend a tremendous amount of time and effort making it work and maintaining these walls and facades that we hide behind the third square is called the blind spot. The blind spot. This is what I don't know about me, but you do. It's that spinach, you know, that you see, but nobody else sees. I mean, yeah, you see, but I don't see. You're, you know, eating with somebody, and, you know, they'll, they'll be going like this, and you start to think, I bet they're sending me a signal <laughs> that I, or they go like this, yeah. And they're sending me a signal that I, and so you start doing this. And you think, boy, when they leave, I'm going to look in the mirror, yeah. And there's nothing there. Do this as a practical joke sometime <laughs> to someone, you know. Just be eating with somebody, and you just start doing this and see <laughs> if they don't start doing it also. It's that blind spot when you're driving, you know? You, you start to mer merge left, 
and you don't see that car right next to you. Now, everybody else on the highway sees that car, but you don't. You know, and you, 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 know, you can cause an accident because what you don't know and everybody else knows can cause harm. You know, and isn't this what's going on with David? I mean, you know, Bathsheba isn't the only victim here. I mean, he, he's victimizing her family. He's victimizing Uriah and his family. He's victimizing the army. He's causing a tremendous amount of harm that he doesn't see. He's got this blind spot. Most of us don't like to be evaluated, but evaluations are often about our blind spots where the supervisor tells us our weaknesses and our shortcomings. I didn't know that. And we can react to our blind spots by denying them, by lying about them, by getting angry, by accusing the other person, by fighting or fleeing, or we can take those blind spots that are pointed out to us and use them as growth areas. But at some point when we learn that blind spot, we could be broken, we could be crushed, we could feel alone and forsaken and exposed and ashamed and guilty. And that's what David feels in Psalm 51. And he takes the knowledge of his blind spot and turns to God and says, heal me, heal me. The interesting thing is when David is living in his hidden world, God isn't mentioned. God is not mentioned in what we read this morning. When we hide from others, we hide from God too. But when David learns of his blind spot, he turns to God. And it's basically, he's asking to die to his hiddenness and die to his blind spots so that he can be resurrected with a clean heart as a new person. When I was a superintendent, um, we had a practice of, uh, there, were, there are ministers that, that move every two years or three years um, because they have blind spots and they just don't see what they're doing to congregations. And so we would, when a minister moved, we instituted this practice of writing what was called a statement of understanding. And the minister, the superintendent that was sending the minister would write this up, down and go over these blind spots with the pastor. These usually didn't go well. And I actually wasn't crazy about writing these things up and sitting down with the pastor. 
and going over them until I realized I was actually giving that pastor a gift, saying, you know, your ministry, you know this, is not going really well, but you don't know why it isn't going well. And here I'm telling you, and this is a gift you're given because now you can start to work on these facades and work on these blind spots and be reborn as a healthy minister. The fourth square. I didn't forget it. The fourth square is what we don't know about ourselves and what others don't know about ourselves. This is called the unknown square. In religious language, this is what only God knows. And what is it God only knows about us? That our life is a mess? That we've really made it a holy mess? Is that what God knows? Our sins? Our wrongdoings? Our failures? Does God know anything else? Does God see anything else? God sees what we don't know. The hope God has for us, the dreams God has for us, the yearning God has for us. That God's grace is stronger than our shortcomings. That God's rightness is better than our wrongs that when we're at the end of our rope with shame and guilt and failure, God puts a knot in the rope that we can hold on to. What we don't know and others don't know, that God really does have in mind a resurrection for us. David's life um, doesn't become a bed of roses. He still has to deal with the consequences of his arrogance. But what he does learn is not that God is against him because of his sins. He learns that God is for him against his sins. And that makes all the difference. What we don't know could really help us. Because what we don't know is God's profound love for us. May it be so. Amen.